Hello, my friends in Christ. This is the Informed Catholic, and my name is Ned Jabbar. And today we're gonna uh, we're gonna do the uh, readings for Saturday, uh, the last day of the fifth week of Lent, heading into the sixth week of Lent. So this is gonna be episode ninety six. So we're gonna do the readings for Saturday, the fifth week of Lent, the last day of the week of of uh, the fifth week of Lent. And uh, this is going to be episode 96. So if you like this podcast and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. It would be a great help. So join me as we say the prayer that we say at Mass, the act of contrition, the act of penance in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kiri Elysion, Kiri Elysion, Kiri Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Kiri Elysion, Kiri Elysion, Kiri Elysion. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, guardian of the Holy Church, guardian of the family, terror of demons, pray for us. St. Peter, the Apostle, pray for us. St. Paul, the Apostle, pray for us. St. John, the Apostle, pray for us. St. John the Baptist, pray for us. St. Mary Magdalene, pray for us. St. Athanasius, pray for us. St. Ambrose, pray for us. St. Augustine, pray for us. St. Monica, pray for us. And uh, St. Benedict, pray for us. St. Jerome, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And uh, St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. John Fisher, pray for us. And St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. And St. Um, St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us and defend us from evil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so I think I got all of them there. We're slowly moving into Holy Week. Yes, I mean, we are in, we're practically entering it, right? Yeah. So, um, that's what the sixth Sunday is. It moves, I mean, it moves pretty quickly. Um, it moves pretty quickly. All right, so, uh, the entrance antiphon is from Psalm 22. 
O Lord, do not stay afar off my strength. Make haste to help me, for I am a worm and no man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All right, this is a uh, a, a passion psalm. It predicts the what our Lord is going through on the cross. O Lord, do not stay far afar off my strength. Make haste to help me, for I am a worm and no man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Okay, so it's one of the most important things we have to remember um, is that we, we, Christ invites us to partake in his passion. Christ also as a we as Christians, since we're baptized into Christ, we um, we are received. Christ comes into our life. Christ is our Savior. Christ understands our weaknesses. We know this because the Scriptures, like the Book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, that is, and Paul, Saint Paul, tells us this. The Psalms make it quite clear. Jesus understands. Our suffering. He understands our trials. He understands the temptations we're going through. He understands us. He knows what we're going through. We're not alone. But it doesn't mean we give in to our sins. It doesn't mean that we make excuses for ourselves. Um, once saved is not always saved. As, as Protestants, their theology is, it's like, all your past sins and all your future sins. And as though that you don't have to make any attempt. That's, that's, I mean, they, they don't, not all of them necessarily say that a lot of them in a sense, but they just contradict themselves because their theology, um, their theology is basically, is against works, but they do, they do works. A lot of them in a sense, they can't really explain it themselves, but we, we always have to be on guard. And the life of sanctity, the life of holiness is a struggle. It's a life that we're going to go through. It's, it's a battle we're going to go through the rest of our lives. Some, some of us will have setbacks. Some of us will have severe setbacks. Some of us may not have any setbacks. Thanks be to God. But we, we, at some point, if we're really serious and we really, really take it seriously and we really dive into our faith, like really dive into it, go deep into those waters of, of, of sanctity. And we really want to be a, a saint. And that's the thing. You want to be a saint. You want to be holy. You desire to be holy. You want to get closer to Jesus. You want to get closer the, to, to, to the life of the Trinity. You want to get closer into the life of, of a Christian of a Christian. You want to get closer to it to, to be holy. All of us should have the desire to want to be holy. All of us desire this. I have a friend at work, unfortunately, I don't know if he's being serious or he's playing with me. But unfortunately, he has a lot of um arguments about the Catholic faith, such as the fact, why do children need to be baptized? Well, why not? Why would you not want to baptize a child? He's been 
listening for for some time with uh he's a filipino he's been listening a lot to the um to some evangelical some evangelist who um which i think sadly it seems that shows you how much the the, the catholic church hasn't been paying attention to to if the, if someone like him begins questioning if there are evangelicals among the Filipinos that shows that the Catholic Church is losing its grip on its people. He's losing his grip on on, on the you know the, they're losing it. The Pope is losing it. The bishops that are there are losing it. They're not doing the they're not teaching. There's been a serious problem of teaching the faith. A serious problem in teaching it. It's the same way like they're losing their grip in South America. Assuming that they're not going to lead the church is nonsense. It's it's actually malaki. It, it, they're, they're losing it because there's a big vacuum, a void. You need to study the faith. You need to study the catechism. You need to dive into scripture. You need to 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 learn how to talk to people about the faith, not argue. Sadly, if they if they choose to listen all right let's go into the scriptures okay our uh, first reading is from the um the book of the prophet Ez, uh, ezekiel i was going to say ezra ezekiel uh chapter 37 it's a long it's a long book it's one of those long prophetic books just like jeremiah and isaiah chapter 37 verse 21 to 28 I will make them into one nation. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, <clears throat> I will take the children of Israel from among the nations to which they have come and gather them from all sides to bring them back to their land. I will make them one nation upon the land in the, mount in the mountains of Israel. And there shall be one prince for for them all. Never again shall shall they be two nations. And never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. No longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from all their sins of apostasy and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I may be their God. My servant David shall be prince over them, and there shall be one shepherd for them all. They shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees. They shall live on the land that I give to my servant Jacob, the land where their fathers lived, and they shall live on it forever. They and their children and their children's children with my servant David, their prince, forever. I will, I will make with them a covenant of peace. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Thus the nations shall know that it is I, the Lord, who make Israel holy, when my sanctuary shall be set up among them forever. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, one more time. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, 21 to 28. I will make them into one nation. Thus says the Lord God, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations to which they have come and gather them from all sides to bring them back to their land. <clears throat> I will make them one nation upon the land in the mountains of Israel, and there shall be one prince for them all. Never again shall they be two nations, and never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. No longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from among all their sins of apostasy and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I may be their God. My servant David shall be prince of over them, and there shall be one shepherd for them all. They shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees. They shall live on the land that I give to my servant Jacob and the land where their fathers lived, and they shall live on it forever. They and their children and their children's children with my servant David, their prince forever. I will make I will make with them a covenant of peace and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Thus the nations shall know that it is I, the Lord, who make Israel holy when my sanctuary shall be set up among them forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, um, before we move to the psalm, um, you notice the theme here. First, you notice the part here where it says, um, I will make with them, I will make them one nation upon the land. In the mountains of Israel, they shall be, there shall be one prince for them all. Never again shall they be two nations, and never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. Remember, that's what happened after Solomon's death because of the infidelity and paganism. Solomon himself uh, married all these women and let them come in with all their gods. And because they came in with all their gods, what happened? It polluted the people. It, made, it, it, it seduced them and made them go into infidelity. A lot of people, because they don't read the Bible, they don't take these things seriously. That idolatry is infidelity. It's like you have violated your marriage with God. A covenant is not a. It's not a, a, a like a, a business contract. A covenant is. It, it's like a, a. The other day, a priest, Father Ripker, said, "It's a solemn contract." Even in the United States, we had a contract, and we had a solemn contract. A solemn contract is the old English term, which is similar to the word covenant that came from the old English, from the, from the British, uh, way of understanding that this is how they, they understood, um, a, 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 a sacred contract, a col a, a solemn one, a solemn one that goes beyond, uh, mere business, 
uh, of exchange of goods or fulfillment of a, a, a one side for the other. It is basically one that is a psalm contract comes from God. It comes from God. And it's, it's an obligation that one has to hold because for the for the sake of God, for the love of God, basically. Um, that's what a covenant is, basically. Um, I guess there's, there's a lot of ways you can try to explain it, but I think the hardest part is because the modern culture doesn't really comprehend that. Because we're not a, we're not a religious people. We're not, we don't really have, I mean, we're more superstitious technically because, you know, I mean, you see how the younger generation now f falls into this new age. And for some reason, they don't understand God, but they can fall into Satanism and occultism very easily. Um, and everything, and, you know, and, and because it's, it's very, it deals with selfishness. It's narcissism. You know, it it feel, fulfills their their selfish desires. All right, so that's that's one part here. It's now the and then the new prince obviously is the messianic prophecy of the Messiah. Okay, no longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from all their sins of apostasy. See, and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I will be their God. Then he, then here, he, my servant David, David's been dead more than hundreds of years now. Which, why, how, how is David? David's going to rise from the dead? No, he's talking about the new David. He's talking about the descendant of David. He's talking about the Messiah who will come from the line of David. I mean, Remember how Matthew begins, Matthew's, uh, Matthew's gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, everybody knows the Messiah must come from the line of David. Okay, um, David, my servant David shall be their prince over them, and they shall be one shepherd for them all. And they shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees. Notice what he says. My servant David shall be prince over them all, and there shall be one shepherd. One shepherd for them all. They shall be. They shall live by my statutes and and um, carefully observe my decrees. They shall live on the land that I give to my servant Jacob, and their and their fathers and where there and their fathers lived, and they shall live on it forever. They had. They and their children and their children's children, my servant David, their prince forever. I will make, I will make with them a covenant of peace, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place shall shall be with them. I will be their God, and it shall be my people. Thus the nations shall know that it is I, the Lord, who makes who make Israel holy when my sanctuary shall be set up among them forever. There you go. So we see the messianic image taking shape. Okay, let's move on to um, the psalm. Okay, the responsorial psalm is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10, 11 to 12. 
and I think it goes to 13. I don't uh, I don't understand these letters here, but it seems to go from uh, from chapter 31, Jeremiah 10, 11, 12, and I guess to 13. The Lord guards us as, as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it on the distant isles and say, He who scattered Israel now gathers them together. He guards them as a shepherd his as a shepherd his flock. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, proclaim it on, on distant isles, and say, He who scattered Israel now gathers them together. He guards them as a shepherd as a shepherd his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord shall ransom Jacob. He shall redeem him from the hand of his conqueror, shouting, They shall mount the heights of Zion. They shall come streaming to the Lord's, to the Lord's blessings, the grain, the wine, and the oil, the sheep, and the oxen. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Then the virgins shall make merry and dance, and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will console and gladden them after their sorrows. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Okay, I'll read it through. Uh, I'll read the response at the start of, uh, before the three verses and at the end of the three verses. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it on distant isles and say, He who scattered Israel now gathers them together. He guards them as a shepherd his flock. The Lord, the Lord shall ransom Jacob. He shall redeem him from the hand of his conqueror, shouting, they, they shall mount the heights of Zion. They shall come streaming to the Lord's blessings, the grain, the wine, and the oil, the sheep, and the oxen. Then the virgins shall make merry and dance, and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will console and gladden them after their sorrows. The Lord will guard them guard us as a shepherd guards his flock the lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock okay the verse before the gospel is from ezekiel chapter 1831 cast away from from you all the crimes you have committed says the lord and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit cast away from you all the crimes you have committed says the lord and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Okay, and the reading is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11, 45 to 56. To gather together in unity the scattered children of God. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11, 45 to 56. Many of the Jews who had come 
to Mary and seeing what Jesus had done, began to believe in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and said, What are we going to do? This man is performing many signs. If we leave him alone, all will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our land and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing, nor do you consider that it is better for you that one man should die instead of the people, so that the whole nations may not may, the whole nation shall, may not perish. He did he did not say this on his own, but since he was high priest for that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the dispersed children of God, so that from that day on they planned to kill him. So Jesus no longer walked about in public among the Jews, but he left for the region near the, the desert to a town called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They looked for Jesus and said to one another as they were on the temple area, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast. Gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, I'm going to read it one more time, and then I'm going to read why, uh, what was going on before this, because I think that's important. All right, uh, reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11, verse 45 to uh, 56. Many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what Jesus had done began to believe in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, so that the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and said, What are we going to do? This man is performing many signs. If we leave him alone, all will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our land and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing, nor do you consider it is better for you that one man should die instead of the people, so that the whole nation may not perish. He did not say this on his own, but since he was high priest for that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the dispersed children of Israel, the dispersed children of God, so that from that day on, they planned to kill him. So Jesus no longer walked about in public among the Jews, but he left for the region near the desert to a town called Ephraim. And there he remained with his disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was, was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem from before the Passover to purify themselves. But they looked for Jesus and and said to one another as they were in the temple area, what do you think that he will not come to the feast? The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. 
This is uh, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 11, the death of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it said, when he when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were but now seeking to stone you. And are you going to there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Thus he spoke, and then he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but if I go, but I go to wake him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, and they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Now, the resurrection and the life. We're going to get this is from verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to consult them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. While Mary sat in the house, Martha said to uh, uh, Martha said to Jesus, Mary sat in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I know, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying quietly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to, to the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mar when then Mary, when she came where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, so that the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them <clears throat> said, Could not he open, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I know that thou hearest me always, but I have uh, but I have said that I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou didst thou did send me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" The dead men came out, his hands and his feet bound with bandages, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." <clears throat> Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what, what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on, thus everyone will, be, will believe in him. And the Romans will come. The Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do, do not understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation should not perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they, they took counsel on how to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer went about openly among the Jews, but went from there to the, uh, to the country near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, 
and many went up from the from the country to Jerusalem. Therefore, the Passover, uh, before, uh, Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have in Ezekiel a promise, again, as God always does through every prophet. First, he points to their apostasy, their infidelity, because they have worshipped other gods. Uh, remember, they, they got to their situation because they broke God's covenant. They were his people people that were set aside as an example to all the nations. The whole idea behind it was to rescue all of creation, to bring back all the children of Adam back to God. Now, interesting. Um, I remember... Uh, the week before, that is, the priest on Sunday mentioned that it's not one of the things we have to remember. He's not taking them back to the reality of Adam and Eve. That creation is gone. And I thought to myself, you know, he's right. He's not. I mean, God could have done it. God could do whatever he wants to do. He could have made it right, being God, being the creator of everything. He could have restored everything exactly the way it was before Adam and Eve reached out their hand and, and broke God's covenant. He could have restored everything to before the fall he ha he's god he can do all things all things are possible for him he could have corrected it reversed it he could have even have stopped it stopped eve from from reaching out to the fruit he could have stopped the serpent from coming to her and and beguiling her or tempting her putting the idea into her head all that is possible God can do all things, and yet, why didn't he do it? Because free will and the consequences of free will seems to be more important to him. It seems to be the important thing. Coming home, seeking that which was lost does not mean wiping all that happens in the middle. That doesn't seem to be his thing. It doesn't seem to be to, to take an eraser and erase everything. No. No. Jesus says, Behold, I come and I make thing, all things new. 
he doesn't, he, he's not, yes, when he says that, when it says in the book of Revelation, all the previous things are gone. I don't think he's going to get rid of and pretend that none of that ever happened. It's not like he's going to wipe it out of our memory banks. No, I think what he means by the former way of life will be no more. The former state of sin that we lived in will be no more. I mean, think about it. Behold, I am coming soon. And I bring with me my rewards. And I think that's important. We have to remember that he seems that he that he's a God who wants us to mature and grow. To mature and understand the differences between good and evil. He wants us to to be aware of our actions, aware of our sinful behavior, aware of the consequences of what of what another way of life is. Just like our just like we 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 always we remember everything of our childhood and we do remember traumatic experiences. We do remember what evil is. We do remember what a bad choice is. I mean, seriously. The flood, the memory of the flood and the world of evil, all that was washed away, but the memory of it was not washed away. No one in his family knew perfectly well what that world was like. Just like they knew what the world of... Um, that there was a world before the, before the coming of Babel. And he didn't correct Abraham and Sarah's mistake when it came with with Ishmael. And Lot and his family, their actions, what Lot did, the consequences of bad choices that Lot made was not wiped away. As a matter of fact, it's written down, right? So... He wants us to mature. He wants us to know what the consequences of a way of life, a bad way of life, does. Okay? When the bad choices and the bad decisions made by Jacob's children, Judah, his mistakes, Reuben, his mistake by seducing or getting into a relationship with one of Jacob's mis- um, concubines, Judah <clears throat> being, uh, choosing to go with a prostitute and, and finding out that it was his daughter-in-law who tricked him, um, them trying to murder Joseph and selling him into slavery and not telling their father, hiding, keeping the, the, the attempted murder of one of their of one of their siblings is not wiped away. The actions of Cain and Abel is not wiped away. All these are written down for our lesson to learn. And we've we've repeated these mistakes 
in our own lives over and over and over again. We've done the same thing. We fall into blasphemy. We fall into sin. We fall into dysfunctional behavior, bad family decisions constantly over and over again. So he's a God who who wants us to live with the memory of bad consequences and bad behavior, bad decisions. The only problem is we don't take him seriously. We don't play, we don't pay attention to him. All right. And the problem is we want our lives. Some of us, I think if we could, would probably press the delete button and start over again. But really, are you really maturing? When you do such a thing, you can't, you're not going to grow. You're not going to mature. You're not going to, to, to understand. There's not going to be any wisdom. That's not wisdom. When you think about it, when you know, when you, when you try to wipe and pretend the past, you can't create a false reality. You can't create a false history, but that's what we're trying to do. If you notice in our own culture, we want to pull down the statues. We want to wipe away the past. We want to create a whole new reality. And the truth is that only winds up creating more dysfunctional behavior, more bad. You know, they say like those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, it seems like that's what this culture is. But the fact is the Bible does not wipe away this. The Bible actually puts the evil and the consequences of our actions right before us. Behold, I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant of the past. Not like the ones your, your, your ancestors broke before, before. No, this will be even a better covenant. And he said, he goes on. I mean, look what he says here. I will take the children of Israel from among the nations to which they have come and gather them from all sides to bring them back to their land. I will make them one nation upon the land in the mountains of Israel, and there shall be one prince from them all. Never again shall they be two nations. Never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. No longer shall they defile themselves with, with their idols and their abominations and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from all their sins of apostasy and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I may be their God. My servant David shall be prince over them and there shall be one shepherd for them all and they shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees. They shall live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where their fathers lived. They shall live on it forever. They and their children and their children's children with my servant. David, their prince, for, um, David, their prince forever. I will make with them a covenant of peace and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will multiply them and put them put my sanctuary among them forever my dwelling shall be with them 
I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Thus the nations shall know it, that it is I, the Lord, who make Israel holy, when my sanctuary shall be set among them forever. <clears throat> it's, um, he's not wiping out the past. It's a new beginning. A whole new beginning. <clears throat> the story, the missteps, the the memory, even though death and sin shall be no more. It's a whole new state of existence. A whole new state. A spiritual state. A whole new understanding. If you remember when Jesus rose from the grave, the, the piercing marks were still there on his hands and feet and with his side. And that's, that doesn't wipe out the, the events that happened. It's a new, a whole new state of existence, a whole new um, spiritual maturity. You know, the Trinity is taking, bringing us to a whole new start. I mean, that's the whole point, I think. And here we have in the gospel after I read to you the resurrection of Lazarus, the fear of the of people, um, the authorities, the fear of the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, they fear who Jesus is. They, they don't seem to care about the miracles. And a lot of times sinful people don't care. I was watching the other day... <clears throat> On Tubi, I got rid. I finally got rid of my cable because it was just ridiculously expensive. And there's a Bible collection, and one of them is a Jeremiah, the story of Jeremiah. And what's interesting is that you, the film shows you the battle between faith and earthly men. And it's like I always said. I mean, even though the king Zedekiah fell into paganism. And because he fell into it, he didn't, you know, he, he and the, um, his children and all of Israel, they, the princes, the heads, the head princes, they all fell into paganism. But the one paganism that was, I think, really bad was the fact that it was the, the power of the state, the government the government itself can, like I've always said, be a pagan idol. It's supposed to function and serve the people. It's supposed to be a tool, a means of governing, not replacing God. And that's the problem with a lot of people. It's It represents earthly power. It represents, it, it, everybody thinks it's going to solve the problem. And... The sad problem is in Jeremiah's day. Oh, forgot about that. Okay. All right. Took care of that. Is that the the temple, the priest, even his own father, his own father who was a priest, Jeremiah was of the Levites, the descendants of Aaron. 
His father turned a blind eye to the corruption. Didn't want to. Didn't want to acknowledge it. Didn't want to acknowledge it. And, and it's funny. People get very. You see how people. Even religious leaders. Get very. Very comfortable. With the status quo. Get very comfortable. With the status quo. Will. They. They. They think that, well, look, as long as I perform and I do my duties and I don't get involved with the political corruption and the, and the, and the religious abuses, that's all that matters. No, Jeremiah had to say, noticed when God finally called him after many years after his first encounter with God as a boy, he had to notice around the city paganism Jeremiah wanted to be left alone but he had to notice the corruption the sin the abuses the the imposing of power on the weak, on the weak uh, cheating people putting whole families into slavery because of debt taking advantage of women uh, they had in a story a girl that he was in love with and her family could not pay their debt. And they literally the, the most powerful men wanted to take advantage of sex trafficking, take advantage of women in the family. Uh, and that's what you, that, that's the whole point. The point is these are men, these are people in charge in the government. And we see the problems in our government. We see the situation. We see even church members with politicians uh, falling into sin. And that's another idolatry, power, power of the government, power of corrupt leaders, power of sinful men using their power to fulfill their sinful desires. And you see that in, in this story, you see that how they are afraid of the people following Jesus and abandoning them. And that's, and that's the situation we're in. We have a very sinful situation. Okay. Um, I'm going to end it here and we'll be back soon. Hold on. We'll get back with a prayer. All right. Let's do the closing prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 
All right, I'll be back uh, with <clears throat> the readings for Holy Week. All right, God bless.